how you equip us and call us to be part of it. We pray these things in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I uh, introduced and started the sermon by using the first line of one of my very best favourite books. I have quite a few best favourite books. It's very hard to produce them. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship and his quote around the, uh, the great danger, the threat to the church of cheap grace. When I was preparing for today, and we continue looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and in particular how the mission of God is revealed in, uh, in chapter 2, and focusing on the Holy Spirit as chief actor in mission. I had another favourite first line of a book that I went to, and I, uh, such a good one, I shall read it. It's from uh, John B. Taylor's book, The Go Between God. It was a classic that was written in the late 1960s. Uh, John V. Taylor, Bishop John V. Taylor, happens to be the grandfather of Ben Wood, that uh, many of you know, so uh, through his mother. Um, so uh, another thing we share in common. But this is the opening line of John V. Taylor's book, the chief actor in the historic mission of the Christian church is the Holy Spirit. He is the director of the whole enterprise. The mission consists of the things he is doing in the world. In a special way, it consists of the light that he is focusing upon Jesus Christ. And uh, John V. Taylor contended that the church of his day had lost all sight of the significance of the Holy Spirit. And I have to say, having reread the book again, it's been republished, that I think he continues, sadly, to be right. We have, in some ways, domesticated, but certainly much reduced, the significance of the Holy Spirit. On our, uh, the classes that I've been doing on Thursday nights, Friday mornings, on handling the Bible... One of the themes I mentioned last week was around a, uh, an approach called the big, small, big. Hopefully those who were there can remember my just signaling a little bit about the big, small, big. It means that it's good for us as we start to read a passage to have the big picture in mind. We already come with some understanding of the, the big picture of what God is about. Then focus down on the passage we have before us and then step back and look at the big picture again. When it comes to Ephesians, it's a really good example of that. Back in chapter 1, after the greetings and Paul's introduction to the gospel summary as being grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we had a long, uh, one long sentence in the Greek. It goes from verse 3 to verse 14, which is broken up in our translations where about ten times it says, in Christ, in him, in the, cho in the one, over and over again, talks about how God's purposes have not just been revealed, but are being realised in Christ, through Christ. And his purposes is that all might be one, that the humanity be characterised by a oneness, all creation be characterised by a, a, a state of peace, of shalom, of being concordant with each other. We struggle to find sufficient words. This is what God's big mission plan is. 
and we're talking about that quality of shalom, which is as much a relational term as it is a personal flourishing term. Paul ended that long sentence with a line that was also, uh, remember how he starts the sentence, how we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has come. Then he finishes that long sentence about the spirit is given as the down payment. You might remember I had a thing about the word earnest, something that was given in earnest as a type of down payment, a, a pledge, a commitment. As we've continued for the second half of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, the focus has been, well, what is this work of the Spirit? And in particular, the end of chapter 1 talks about getting deeper, not just in terms of outward behaviour and choices and things that people do, but about where it comes from. The eyes of the heart are laid bare. The desires that come from the heart and what it is that our heads tell us that is right and good about life needs to be changed, it needs to be transformed. So the spirit is not just working abroad, it's also working within. But it's working within for a purpose, to bringing about that spirit of peace, of concord, of harmony, of being there for each other, being the types of society, the type of community that God is calling us to be. So that is the big thread that Paul has been working towards as we come to the second half of chapter 2, which focuses on what does this actually look like? Isn't that one of the questions that we have so much about the the Spirit? Is how, How can we see the work of the Spirit? Some talk about spiritual experiences maybe it's speaking in tongues maybe it's a vision maybe it's some dramatic event that happened in their lives even in some churches lives and I have no doubt that the work of the spirit can be manifest in that way but it will be wrong to limit the signs of the spirit to those types of experiences it's actually much deeper and it's much more profound than just a very personalized engagement with God And that's what we begin to see in our passage this morning. So I've talked about this quote from John Taylor. The chief actor in this work, the way in which the spirit is evident, is in the mission of God. And the focus of that mission is on Christ and that work of gathering a people, of bringing unity out of a fractured world out of a world that is fearful and separating itself off between us and them. So in that background, let me just revise something of the passage there. God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace. He preached shalom to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. This Pentecost is not a, a diversion from our theme on exploring the great mission of God. It is front and center. 
to that outworking of the mission of God. Do you know the name for this? It's a hongi. But it is a very profound moment. It isn't just a uh, somewhat, you know, twee cultural experience that you can explore when you visit New Zealand. I want to give you a story of explain, first of all, where it fits within a context of a ritual of approach and relationships, give you a story of it, then suggest how this is actually a, uh, a great um, example, a metaphor, if you like, of what this reconciliation can look like. Now, I actually had a much longer version of this. I had a full explanation of the of PowerPoints and slides. Notice how that's too much. So if you want to do that, go on to do a Google search for the word pafiri, P-O-W-H-I-R-I, pafiri. Um, and there's a heap of resources out there. You can go on YouTube and see some very dramatic versions of it. I just want to give you a, sh- a short version of what happens in a pathetic. It is the greeting when someone who is a them, between the us and them, an outsider, approaches a marae, which is at the centre of pretty much almost any village or town in New Zealand. You might recognise the beautifully carved gate that is the entry place that tells the story of this particular village of people. And as you may formally approach, you cannot just stroll through the gate into that sacred ground that's set aside beyond it. You wait at the gate and you, if there's a host with you, there are, a cry would come out from the, uh, one of the female voices of the village. It's a beautiful, quite a haunting cry of, of welcome. Come, but come with respect. And there's a response from your host who will come with you and who will cry back. And then you'll be greeted with a warrior who will come forward with a spear and looking seriously fierce. They train the children of how to look seriously fierce and then suddenly switch it off and burst into laughter. But they would come with a spear and say, are you coming in peace or are you coming in war? And at the end of the challenge, they would offer a little gesture, a fern or some piece of a branch of some description. And if you come with peace, you would come forward with your eyes bowed and pick up that, uh, that uh, item that's been placed there with the assurance that you come in peace. And then you'd be invited to draw a bit closer, then you would be either sat down facing each other and there will be an exchange of speeches. And the seniors would speak of who we are, who our people are, where we've come from. This is our story. These are the ones whom we respect. And those who have come from outside, the guests, would then um, tell their story, their people. This is who we come from and this is the spirit in which we come. And so the exchange would go between them until the final speech from the guest who has arrived would come forward and put down a koha, which is an item, a gift of some description. could be food, it can be a piece of money in appreciation. And then you are, they are invited And the two lines would pass, shake hands, and finish that process with the hongi. At that moment, the gesture is we are now breathing the same air. We are one. We are equals. You are no longer them. You are now us. 
And as long as you stay within our marae, as you are no longer a guest, you are one of us. Very profound sense of uh, bonding. It actually shapes a lot of New Zealand culture. Now, you might think that's a very uh, interesting custom. If I'm, you know, uh, it's wonderful to explore it and to be part of it. I've been part of a number of them that were not part of a tourist program, but actually part of a way in which you greet. If, uh, you might notice that all heads of state, when they visit, and other visitors who come to New Zealand would be greeted with a pathiri process of entry. But let me tell you how real it is, beyond the gesture. Many of you might remember or know Rebecca Gibney, Australian actress, um, Back to the Rafters and all those different types of movies. She's a Kiwi. We own her, like quite a few others, but I won't go for the whole list of ones that we also picked that Australia has tried to pinch. You know that series, Who Do You Think You Are? Um, she came and did the, uh, the Who Do You Think You Are? And Rebecca Gibney was wet, wet to four bears and discovered that she had a great-grandfather in Wellington with some pretty dubious history. But in particular, she discovered one of her great-great-great-grandparents came from Nelson, that beautifully idyllic place on top of the South Island. But as she then got to know more about the story of this great-great-great-great-grandfather, she discovered he was a trooper, and a trooper who had been dispatched to Taranaki, for those who know something of New Zealand history, you, your backs and your alert would come out. One of the great scars on New Zealand history was the massacre at Taranaki, where some troopers came, and uh, as they were challenged, are you coming in peace, they actually came and massacred a village, women, men and children, the whole lot. It's a deep, deep scar that is still being worked on both from uh, many different directions. And she discovered that her great-great-great-great-grandfather had been one of those troopers. She travelled to Taranaki, the bottom of the North Island, and uh, explored more about what actually happened here. And she heard more about this dreadful event. And she met with some of the Māori elders who told their stories with tears of just how this was a betrayal of trust. It was just an awful event. And the scars still run deep. Rebecca Gibney was then invited to have a pafiri, to come to the marae, to be greeted and asked, are you coming in peace? And she went through the process. They told their story, which is a painful story. She told her story and brought with an apology for her forebears and his part as a trooper, but part of a moment, which is a scar. At the end of that process, they shook hands and they had a hongi. And they sat down and had a meal. That cultural ritual was not just a fanciful event. It speaks into what needs to happen in our world for the work of reconciliation. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, as a metaphor, though I have to say that there are Christian versions, Christian and Māori leaders who speak into that space and use this in an incredibly powerful moment, 
including, I might say, halfway through a general synod that I was taking part of in a debate that one of the Murray elders decided was very boring. So actually, as they can do, stop the debate in general synod. Said, no, 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 no. It's time for the haka. So they actually cleared all the floor and actually had a haka. <laughs> he led the way with a big smile on his face. <laughs> This is still very much part of it. It is a Christian sense. So this is the spirit. Was We didn't know that by the name of the spirit that they would actually say, now this was the spirit who's moving us into these moments. That gesture of breathing deeply of the same spirit, Paul says, leads us to the one God. We are now equals. There is no us and them. And this is the work of the gospel. So consequently, Paul says, there are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You can almost paraphrase it. Members of God's marae, the extended family, we are drawn together, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. Now, one of my brief ambitions, and someone may put their hand up and say, like, I've just been waiting for this moment to come and someone to ask this question. I live in hope. I'm not bad with Lego. John is seriously good with Lego. They are designed to fit together, and you could do some very satisfying structures. When it comes to building the church, you're not Lego blocks. No church is a box of Lego blocks that neatly fit together into a very orderly way. If only. It's not like that. Wonderfully, we are many and varied. One of my ambitions, this is what I was hinting at before, is to, do, to learn how to do dry stone walls. It looks so satisfying when it's done well. When I have a go at doing it, the habit of them collapsing in different directions... This building work is a work of the spirit that works of all the irregularities and the, 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 uh, the pushbacks and the, the things that just don't seem to fit and the, uh, all those sort of problems. In and through that, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ and in him the whole building is joined together. So where does that take us? Where does it take us in this mission of God? In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The big picture, the tabernacle had been the dwelling place of God symbolically and in a sense really, so that to approach into the tabernacle in the Old Testament was to approach into God's house, God's dwelling place. And to go into the inner sanctum, the most holy place, was a fearful thing to do on just one day of the year. That tabernacle was then translated into the temple. First of all, Solomon's temple. And then at the time of Jesus, the rebuilding of the temple through Herod was an enormous great structure. And Jesus got himself into some serious trouble when he says this temple is going to be destroyed, it's going to be broken, but it's okay because within three days it'll be rebuilt. And people could not make sense of that. It took Herod 20 years to rebuild the temple. 
Jesus was talking about the community of the church. As Jesus was the body of Christ who becomes the temple of God, tabernacled amongst them, God dwelt in their midst through the person of Jesus. So the people of Christ, the church, are gathered together and we become this temple of the living God. And God is present. God lives in our midst. That is the work of Holy Spirit. How do we see the work of the Spirit? It is when people are gathered together and have a sense that when they come to a church community, they are home. This becomes my extended family. And as we'll see next week, just as a little touch on it, as we get to Trinity Sunday, we are God's extended family on mission together. That is incredibly exciting. How can we do so? It is the work of the Spirit in our midst. We cannot contrive the Spirit. We can't do deals with the Spirit. But we can be open to the Spirit. And may I suggest, let us breathe deeply in that sense of sharing that same spiritual air and discover the delight of being drawn together in Christ's name through his spirit.